Hey team, welcome to the Changemaker Career Series. In this series of podcasts, I interview interesting people who are leading impactful lives and ask them about how they did it. This podcast is for self-motivated people who care about social impact. I'm Chris Danilo, and I'm your host. I spent my career focused on the intersection between brain development, education, and technology. I've run a neuroscience lab, I've consulted with education technology companies, and for the last three years, I've been touring the country producing massive Lego and Minecraft events for kids. In this episode, we talk with Curtis Liu, who quit his IT consulting job to start a data company that helps schools help kids. In this interview, we talk about how high-energy people manage their time, what the millennial generation is getting right, and the pitfalls of starting your own company. Let's do this. All right. I am here with Curtis Liu, who is an awesome person all around, also a personal friend of mine and uh, entrepreneur and just a person who's making a difference in the world of education. And I will leave the introduction there and I'll let him talk a little bit about himself. Curtis, hey buddy, how are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm happy to be here, Chris. Right on, man. Well, I I would love for you to talk for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, something like that about you and um, what people should know about you kind of like as we get started and, and getting into a little bit of the details of, of how you got where you are. Sure. Um, so I, I uh, think it may not even take 30 seconds um, because I to sum myself up in just a simple sentence, I would say that my purpose in life is to build happiness for myself and others. And so mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to be able to find ways to do that in many different parts of my life, both personal and, and professional. That is a, a pretty big sentence. I think like, <laughs> right? Like, cause there's people who want to build happiness. There's people who want to build productivity. There's people who want to build like, their own thing, like a business or something, but that seems like a, a pretty heavy duty mission. Um, like, well, the I'm word happiness to... is so loaded, right? Yeah. What it <laughs> means to you is going to be so different to everybody else and to myself. And so I think when I, when I reflect upon that word and think about what it means to me, it's, it's like, I, you know, there's two parts of that sentence, which is to build happiness for myself, and others, and I can, I'm in full control of how I define it for myself. Um, but when it comes to others, that's a whole nother challenge, right? I need to think yeah. if I'm going to build something that's going to, it's going to make Chris happy. I have to, I have to think about what, who Chris is, where he's at, what I can do mm. to help him. Right. And um, I think that's, that's the very you know external part of, of my purpose that, that plays itself out in lots of different ways that just goes beyond myself. Right. Well, I'll give you the secret. It's just Oreos. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really easy. Hold on. Opening the Amazon <laughs> now app right now. Just wait two hours. Let me order 35. It's so easy. It's so easy. I want free shipping. <laughs> well, wait a second. So for me, maybe it's Oreos, but like for you, I know there's a couple different ways that you do this. Um, and we've talked, you know, in, in about, some of this, you know, before, like, um, just in our own personal conversations. 
um, whether it's like, you know, building uh, something that's efficient or something that provides value to a certain group of people. Like, uh, before we dive into maybe some of the mechanics, like, I'm curious about, of all of the different things that you're doing, what is something that is your favorite part? So, I think my favorite part is being able to lead in creating an environment where people can can find that um, that happiness through the value that I'm adding to their lives. Um, and so, if I put that into a business context, you know, I, I um, you had mentioned very briefly that I'm an entrepreneur. I, I am the leader of a very, very small company that is is trying to solve a very targeted problem for a very targeted audience. Um, but within that environment, I have been very purposeful, very um, lucky as well to find the right people and set up the right systems and structures in place uh, so that it is value creating it, it adds value to um, my my audience of choice, which is schools and ultimately right. students. Um, and so I, you know, I going going back to your question of, of what my favorite part is, like that's it. I love setting up systems. I love creating that environment. I love creating that experience that adds value to others. Um, and if I just go from if I make the leap from the professional and the personal, just to just to show, I guess, where it still applies and resonates with me. Um, I am a new father as of a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, uh, it's a totally different challenge, but it's, it's so similar in so many different ways because here I am again, responsible for the environment that she gets to grow up in. Yeah. Um, and I have to create opportunities I, I see it as my responsibility is to create opportunities for her to see value in the life that she is then surrounded by so that she can find what makes her happy long term i mean right now happiness is a rattle and regular feedings right. and maybe a nap every once in a while <laughs> right. but it's, it certainly yeah. helps to to put this into a long-term perspective totally i think there's like a um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say misconception, but like there's a difference between like long-term happiness and then the short-term happiness thing. Like, I think this is probably a subject that's been maybe talked about too much even, but I think it is important to like n- note that. Like, I think in your kind of like personal and business mission statements, you're talking about long-term stuff and then the short-term stuff is kind of necessary. It's sort of like the like the lubricant for the engine, you know what I mean? Like it just makes it run easier if you have these little things that, that make life like better as you go. I don't know if you've thought of it that way, but this is something that just popped up in my head today. And just mm. all of a sudden right now as we're talking, like sounds relevant. So I figured I would mention it like, and if you have a, a thought about it, I always wanted to like open up the floor for it. Sure, I, I think that's part of it um, because the short term is still sometimes so necessary. It is a requirement. It is a prerequisite to getting to that long-term mm-hmm. vision, right? It's not, right. I think it's very easy to say, you know, I'm taking a long-term view on things. And so I'm willing to, um, 
to sacrifice whatever it takes to to get there and, and i'm just going to get there like right sometimes that's not the case <laughs> yeah sometimes you have this long-term vision and you realize that what's needed in the short term is just something that you can't negotiate your way through mm-hmm. um and some people may think of that as failure i i don't you know i, I can't say right. it depends on the situation but right. you know i think that those short-term needs are not they should not be discounted for sure. They're, I think they're right. just as important as getting to that long term. Um, yeah, as as every other step along the way, because yeah, who knows how much of your short term decisions and uh, events in life are, are gateways that you need to pass mm-hmm. through to get to that longer term vision. So, like as you're talking, I'm thinking about 20 million things like <laughs> that that fit into my life, like with that description. Do you have like maybe an example or two of stuff that is useful to you or like happiness producing short term, but that you also feel is like a prerequisite, maybe something that you've learned about yourself as you've gone, maybe something you've known since you were a kid. I don't know, like that kind of thing. So things in the short term that make me happy that are also aligned with long-term happiness. Yeah. That you feel like are, are dependencies maybe, or Maybe they're just facilitators. I, I find that the most useful framework for me to think about a lot of this is um, Maslow's hierarchy and pyramid. Yep, totally. Um, you know, where your base needs are at the bottom. And as you go higher up in the pyramid, um, the pyramid gets smaller. But you don't get to, to work on those things that are higher up the pyramid that are kind of high level human needs without first having those basic needs met, right? Safety, food, um, money, um, relationships, you know, all these things that just make you a healthy, just normal human being (laughs) before you can, you know, kind of take those steps to the next level. So I think that's where, you know, it's not an inverted pyramid. You cannot build a huge, um, foundation on top of the house the foundation needs to come first i'm gonna have to link that i don't think that answers your question (laughs) well i think for you what you're saying the way you think about short-term happiness is dependent on what you need right now to to sort of satisfy those basic um anxieties right because if you're if you're in a situation right now with like let's just say covid because that's an example that's relevant if you're in a situation right now where you lost your job or you're furloughed or something, like all of those bottom rungs of Maslow's hierarchy, it's like the requirements, like you need to, like we need to address those before you can go, you know, have, uh, be self-actualized, right? Like you can't, you can't try to fulfill that top rung without those bottom rungs. So to me, I mean, that is a, an answer that makes sense. Um, you know, unless you, unless you have like another, like more specific example that like feels like, relevant um, but to me that kind of clicks i can use more specific examples on the same topic i mean if we look at the world that we're in right now what i find very interesting is is how policy at the federal level is really driving down to main street and supporting whether or not main street's base needs are being met and mm-hmm. you know we don't have to look very far back just a few weeks to to see that you know, when this first hit and there was a lot of uncertainty, um, unemployment benefits that were provided by the federal government came in and provided that base need for so many people that were entering into this phase where 
they were they would have otherwise faced extreme hardship by the right. disruption that COVID had had brought in. Um, and I think that's a great example of where you put you're putting a floor there for people to stand on. You're not just going to allow for that to erode away in the hopes of having those people not just keep their jobs, but continue to be productive and working on those higher order needs. Um, whether or not that's sustainable, I don't want to get into that debate, but yeah. it's, right. I think that it's really interesting to just think about the relationship between that and another topic that I'm finding just so, so fascinating, um, which is the idea of universal basic income. Yeah. Um, uh, which my hometown of Stockton, California, just had a had a uh, HBO documentary on uh, its, wow. its young mayor right now that's trying to implement this system. Um, that I highly recommend that anybody get educated about. It's it's uh, you know I don't know if it's right or not, but I'm, I find it extremely interesting to think about how we behave as a society when you put that economic floor in place, whether it's unemployment benefits or just regular payments. Um, to take care of basic needs. That's such a good um, example of like, you know, d evolving your perspective as you go and being open-minded to new information. That is such a difficult and like also kind of like a hot button thing. Like I think most people be like, universal income, what are you talking about? Like it's crazy, right? It's like this ridiculously wild, outrageous, radical thing. I think there's a great book on some of the psychology of like decision-making in this category uh, called poor economics. And it, so we, we don't have to like dive into all the details, but I just wanted to like throw that little reference out for anybody listening that wants to like dive into that. And it's really curious about it. Um, and it, of course there's like, I'm sure other um, examples and Ted talks and all kinds of stuff, but I just wanted to drop that in. Totally. I mean, I, I find watching the news incredibly painful but i see it as a necessary thing for me to do to get educated understanding the bias that exists out there and the extreme views that not just news but it's like social media and every other channel of information that's coming in in my life yeah. i need to be aware that there needs to be balance because there's there's just bias everywhere right yeah um and i think that it's really interesting. I think back to my education in business school. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I ever took away from going through that experience was learning that no answer is absolute. Mm -hmm. And that there's always like a counter argument that should be considered. Right. And so yeah. really decision making is never so black and white. And, and it's right. really up to, to you to be responsible about making sure you educate yourself about both sides before making, making your decisions. So this is a uh, relevant question that's on my list, but folds nicely into this conversation, which is what's something that you used to believe as a child, but that you don't anymore? So I think that probably the biggest shift to my mindset that changed between being a, a child and, and being a somewhat functioning adult with childlike tendencies <laughs> um, is that um, things are not as um, concrete as you think. 
I think when I was growing up, I saw all these structures around me and I saw career paths and classes that I needed to take and, and things that I needed to do in life to be successful, right? And um, I, as I grow older and I see outside of that environment that I was brought up in, I realized that a lot of that was driven by my environment, by mm. the, um, the environment that my parents created for me, the city that I was in, mm. um, the different schools that I went to. And so as I, as I, I grew older and, and traveled a bit and expanded my view of different environments, I, I realized that, you know, if I, if I had gone through any of those other environments, I might think very differently. Or even now that I've yeah. been exposed to them, I am thinking differently right now. Um, so as the sum of my experiences grows larger, I think the, the flexibility mm-hmm. in which I'm able to see different ways that, that happiness can manifest, um, it just grows with it. Hmm. That's cool. I'm wondering, if I'm, if I'm somebody who doesn't know Curtis and I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about, like, did you make it, right? Like, did you get, like, to a point in your life where you feel like this is your dream job? So my next question is, is this your dream job? And how did you get here? <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Hey, team, it's me. We definitely had some trouble with the audio on this recording. So just stick with us. All right, back to the show. So let's see. If I just go chronologically, I'll try to make it short. So it was engineering school, hit the great, no, hit the dot-com bust. Oh, yeah. Didn't really have a job. So I worked as a tutor um, in San Francisco. I never went into engineering. I, I just found a job at a school, a brand-new school. So I was a founding math teacher at a school where I taught and at the same time got my teaching credential and then got my teaching credential, very briefly did summer school teaching in Hawaii, came back to the Bay Area and worked for a company that did back office services for charter schools where I was part of the data team. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, I don't belong here. Yeah. I need to go. Um, and that's when I bought a one-way ticket to China, traveled a bunch, two years went by, and then Wait, I two years went by? Went to yeah, we're going to come back to that. School for my MBA, which I did like a third of it in London. So then I ended up in London, finished school, about to enter the job market again, and then hit the Great Recession. And then ended up for the next 15 minutes or so, Curtis and I talked about his journey. China, we were back and forth between IT and education, and he knew he wanted to stay in education, but the path wasn't really clear. Services using SAP, okay, where I worked mostly on the project management side and some data migration. Okay, now let's get back to that two years. That's like an important step, right, to get to where we are today. Um, but I rewind back to those two years when I was just like doing nothing. Um, that's where I figured out that I needed to go back to education. I was just traveling and it hit me like a ton of bricks one day and I wrote it down and I'm like, someday you have to find your way back to education. Cause you know, now I was separated from it for like two years and I was, you know, I was thinking, I was reflecting on what I liked about teaching and working at, at that other company. 
and what I didn't like about it. And I'm like, I, I still love the industry. And I thought that maybe my way back to the workforce would be going to business school so I can get a job and actually learn um, marketable skills. <laughs> um, so then fast forward, right? I go through all the business school stuff. Um, I work in Hong Kong for a bit. I work in China for a little bit. And then I, I moved to the U.S. And that's when I landed in the U.S. and was like, I need to re re-understand the education market here because now is the time when I'm going to execute on my goal of getting back into education. I don't know what I'm going to do in education. I'm just going to get back into it though. Um, and I, I, I ended up reconnecting with somebody that I knew from that back office company I knew before. And we did a little bit of consulting together as a small team. They put together some data models and started to talk to schools about them. That's when they started having hunches that maybe, just maybe, they could create some value for schools and education. So that went for a good two, three years, which included my move to Pennsylvania. And then everything fell apart. Yeah. So I was put into a place where I'm just like, fuck. And then... See, maybe this would be a more entertaining part of the podcast, especially if I could swear too. I'll, I could swear more right. too. Um, right. Where I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? So yeah. I created Measure Ed. And this is when I said, okay, I think I have a way in. Now, I, now not only am I in education, but I think I know a way that I'm creating value within education. So right. how do I continue down that path? Because that, when everything else is falling apart, at least that feels right feels mm-hmm. right that I'm in education and doing something valuable. And that's when I formed Measure Education uh, by myself. I found one new client that was in Southern California in the high desert. And I moved into a log cabin, <laughs> like up in the hills of the desert. This is so cool. Um, no cell phone signal, just like me right. in a cabin where during the days I would drive down into the desert, go to the school, do what I was doing, then at night drive back. And that's when I started writing about my purpose because right. like I'd formed this company. Now it was 100% mine. I owned it. I was mm. responsible for it. I had to, and that's when I discovered that, that HBR article where I'm like, wow, this resonates with me. I need to give this company purpose, just like I need to give myself purpose. And that's when I flipped out my phone and started taking notes. I'm working at this company. I'm refining my purpose. I'm refining my values. I'm getting it to a point where I'm feeling like it's pretty good. And that's when I leave the mountains. It's like I emerge from the mountains. I don't know if you know the reference, like, is like a, my, bo- my Bonnie Vare moment, you know, where I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I leave and my album is done. Um, so emo, emo. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, left, I left my isolation. I had my draft of my purpose and values in hand. I went to, and that's when I went to L.A., and I said, I'm going to find more schools and I'm going to hire someone. 
And I think that's where, mm. that's where like it really happened. So I moved, I lived in Long Beach for like, I don't know, it was like two months while I interviewed and hired Meredith and we worked in Long Beach together to get shit started. Um, yeah. And that's, that, that's the story. And then that, that like, I mean, the ups and downs of measure ed have been there. So I, you know, Meredith down in LA, I was up here and we did that for like a solid, you know, two, three years, hiring people, yeah. firing people, sucking yeah. at, sucking at being a company. Yeah. And then, uh, um, but then <laughs> to that point about sales, when you still have schools, you can suck at things and it's kind of okay. Yeah. Uh, without sales, like you suck period. Like you're just burning money. Right. So like I yeah. needed to, that's, you know, I had to get the sales part together, measure ed, yeah. you know, had slow organic growth and not until the last two years were we able to actually get enough forward momentum to become a team. So yeah, that's, that's today. So now seven people. So yeah. I mean, the trajectory is good. I mean, I got really nervous with COVID-19, but, uh, you know, didn't turn out as bad as I thought it would. Yeah. Wow. So if I focus just on the professional side of things, yeah, I, I'd say that I'm, I am living out a dream that I have for what I think the world needs to solve a problem. I think that's kind of the core mm. of, of at the core of every entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, it's not, I never set out to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I, and I think, so at its core, I wanted to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, and I feel very rewarded if I can solve that problem in a way that benefits you know, many different parties. I'm, I'm always looking for that win-win uh, situation where I can influence that, um, you know, that outcome. And so for me to be able to, to do that mm. within a space that I love with people that, that I really respect and, and value um, just makes me feel mm. very lucky. Uh, mm. So I, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. I have my dream job and the um, the unfortunate side of this is that I spent many years trying to find that space for myself, and it was very difficult um, because it just it didn't exist. And so that I think that's mm -hmm. where I go back to, you know, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was right. never the end goal. But because I couldn't find where my place was um, in other companies with other teams of people. I had to create that environment myself right. and, and then I, you know, I, I was able to, to find, I was able to create my dream, dream job, not find it. I was right. able to create right. it. So that's like a, a really big thing, right? Because you're saying, like, I, I wonder in that moment where you're discovering like, Oh my gosh, there's this gap. Like what are some of the thoughts that went through your head that, led to your decision to take action and create, right? Because like, if for me, I would probably think things like, oh, there's nothing out there. That means there's no market for what I want to do. Oh, there's nothing out there. So like, it's too hard or like, I don't know where to start or, you know what I mean? Like, I would probably think of things 
that would stop me, <laughs> right? Rather than like me thinking of reasons to, to like, you know, that I that I had to go, that I had to create something, right? Like, because you're saying sure. sort of this, like, you have this like sort of reluctance of like, oh my gosh, I don't really want to do this, but I, somebody's got to do it. It's like the world needs this. Like, is that like an accurate take? And then also like, what are some of the things that went through your head that made you feel like, shoot, I have to do this thing that I don't want to do? Hmm. I, there's there's so many different emotions <laughs> that and phases that you go through. Yeah. Um, I think if I if I can go back to the moment when I I thought of what I wanted to do in an ideal world, um, I think that's when I was in a space and time in my life where I was really thinking about what motivates me, what gives me energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to think about it in very broad terms. I couldn't be very specific. It's not like I knew I wanted this exact job with this exact team of people in this exact space. Um, but I had to think very broadly. And I think that's where, you know, coming back to that purpose, that's where I think that played a very huge role. Um, yeah. the, but then the, the actual starting of it, I, I think I'm just like you. You know, if, if, I, if, it's, if something does not exist, and I'm like, this is such a great idea. Why doesn't it exist? Right. And I start going through all the, you know, the 20 million different reasons why it doesn't exist. Um, I think that's where, in order for me to do my due diligence and talking about me, making sure that I, I see multiple perspectives, I have to flip the script and say, well, for all those things right. that, that give me a reason why this doesn't exist, let me think of ways that I can make it exist. Right. And do like how strong are those forces on either side, um, mm. such that I can actually make a decision if this is a smart thing to do or not. And in the end, it's an imperfect decision, yeah. right? So ultimately, you could educate yourself <laughs> forever uh, right. and take that to the grave with you, to with you without ever trying it. So you have to make a gut call at some point to say, okay, well, this is worth the risk of me trying it. Um, I just have to be ready to fail. <laughs> what, is, um, what, is, what does yeah. failure look like as a possibility for you? Because, you know, like I remember starting my own projects and being like totally enamored with this idea. And I didn't even know I was enamored. I had no idea. I was just like, oh, man, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to start a thing and I'm going to be cool and I'm going to I'm smart and I work hard and I'll be able to generate this thing that creates money and I'll be amazing and like all these things running through my head and looking at the, the side of failure and seeing like okay it's not that bad like I can move in with friends or family I can get a job like I remember looking at the other end and thinking like there like for me in my circumstance being one of the lucky ones you know who was born into a family where I had like safety net like I was like I could totally go for this and everything could go wrong and I will be fine. Like I'll have a car. I'll still have an iPhone. I'll, you know what I mean? Like I just remember that feeling. And I know that's not the case for everyone. I'm wondering like, what did failure look like for you as you started to approach this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. And you're looking over the ledge, like what's over there? Sure. And I'm glad that you, you call out this, um, this, this privilege that, 
that you've had to be able to fail and still realize that you had that support network, right. In case something did happen, because that's such a huge part of it. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I think, you know, if you fail, like it, it hurts much harder than others. Um, and I feel my, like my, I am myself in a very privileged space where, um, if I were to fail, at what I'm currently doing, I would still have a lot of family that would be there for me, friends that would be there for me. Um, I'm sure that I could whip up something where I can provide for myself and my family. You know, I'm not um, you know, going to end up out in the street, you know, and, yeah, right. and that's, it's a real, that's, that's something to be really grateful for. Um, yeah. And so I think but it, it, it would be irresponsible to ignore what things would look like if you were not successful at doing these things. So I, I often yeah. think about that. Like what happens this year if COVID hits right. and it totally wipes out my business? Or <laughs> what happens if there's a delayed effect and it, it doesn't happen until next year? You know, I'm constantly right. thinking about those things. Right. Um, I just also have to constantly balance that out with the, well, this is the reason why even if that happens, I'm going to be okay. My family's going to be okay. The team I work with is going to be okay. Right. Um, and ultimately the work that we do as a team uh, is going to continue on. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think to answer your question in a very long roundabout way, you have to be ready to fail, but you also at the same time have to be ready to find reasons to succeed and mm-hmm. to balance those two. And I still, yeah, I still may fail. I will fail at <laughs> different things yeah. in my life moving forward. I'm, I'm ready for that. I expect it. So let's talk a little bit about kind of like some of those decisions and some of the journey there. Um, you know, what did, what did it look like for you in your career to be in a place where you felt safe? And then like what were, you know, some of the things that happened that made you um, – uh, like start this new thing, but also what did that new thing start to look like? And then what does it look like now? Like, I'm just curious about um, sort of the journey that you took and, you know, what some of those milestones look like. I focus on the word safe that you used because I don't think in my career, when I look back at my career path, I don't think I ever felt safe. Whoa. Um, and to some extent, I would say I'm safer now, but right. I still don't think I'm safe. <laughs> right. There's still too many things that can happen. Um, and I think as, a, as an outcome to that feeling that I guess I've had when I look back at my career, I can also see that that, feel, that, that feeling has always driven me to be somewhat transient in my career and to try lots of different things Um, because I was never comfortable in one spot. Um, Mm. And, and so I think that's where the, the, the downside of that was I did so many different things that at the time did not seem like they made sense. It did not seem like they followed a natural career progression that I think a lot of people are looking for. Right. Um, either for themselves or even in others. But 
now in hindsight, I'm also looking back and saying, well, I didn't think of those things connecting at that time, but now that I'm older and can kind of laugh about it a little bit, right. those two things were actually pretty related right. um, and makes me into a better person today that's better equipped that was not so obvious when I was younger. I would love to talk about some of the dots that you have connected, but only in the rear view mirror. I actually just wrote a little, um, like a little blog post about this and how like, <laughs> when you look, when you look back, like it, you know, it tends to be that you, you see the pattern or the connection between this and that. But at the time it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing or whatever that feeling is where you don't, it doesn't feel like a, a total story. Um, or like a cohesive story. I would love to hear about some of the dots that you've connected. Okay. Um, I'm just like, I wish I had a dartboard um, <laughs> that I can just throw all my different jobs up and just throw a, dot, a dart at it. Um, let, let me start by where I am now, actually. And cool. then I can talk a little bit about some of the points along the way that I can, that I can link to what I do now. So um, right now, I... I am the founder of a company, a small uh, data management company uh, called Measure Education. And what we do is we work with K through 12 schools uh, to manage information systems and the data within it. Um, and so if you've ever gone to school and seen your teacher take attendance or work with a grade book or schedule into, you into courses, or talk about your report cards and graduation status or progression. Like those are the types of systems that myself and my team work with every day to help schools run more excellently um, with the goal of having that improve student outcomes. Um, and so if I go all the way back to my life post-college where I studied engineering, um, my first job was actually not an engineering job at all, but actually first as a tutor in a local tutoring center, which led me to a job as a founding teacher of a charter school in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, I, that was just, that was one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had in my life. And one of the things I value most about my past career as a, as a teacher, um, because I think that's when I realized that this is the, this is the mm -hmm. industry that I want to be in. And so yeah. even, and at that time, I don't think I knew it, but only after leaving education, um, going into the business world, working in IT services for a little while, did I realize that, okay, if I, if I wanted to work in a place that really had my whole heart, I'd probably end up back in that education space. And yeah. so that's, you know, my time as a teacher definitely links to what I do now. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll share with you something that I share with a lot of potential clients that we work with. Um, and that is that, you know, our company is, is one that wants to bring um, technology to the table and data to the table from an educator's perspective. Um, because when you look at a lot of the quote unquote ed tech companies out there, a lot of them are very tech first hmm. and they've they're they're taking a lot of their tools and placing it in the into the education environment and there's nothing wrong with that 
Um, I think there's a lot of fantastic companies uh, out there that do really valuable things in this space. But for the company and the vision that, that I have, um, I wanted to make sure that when people uh, brought us to the table to talk about how technology is used in schools, we were doing it from a place of experience where we've actually been in the school working right. at the ground level, right. right? We've been in the classroom with students. We've dealt with parents. We've dealt with school leaders. We've dealt with teachers. We've dealt with, right. you know, that whole environment. Um, and so I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, everybody on my team now has either been a teacher or worked in some school operations role where we can connect the dots between what the school needs and what these systems are supposed to provide. Um, and there's no way I'd be able to do as well of a, a, a job as I do, I hope I do now, um, without that teaching experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're able to say, you know, see something like chronic absenteeism or uh, suspension rate. And you, I think, can empathize with like, I know what that pain feels like. And I think to, to, to people who are listening that like, maybe they don't get it like, oh, okay, school data, cool. Like I, just to make it really clear, things like absenteeism and um, suspension rate have huge correlations with like successful outcomes later on. So like anybody that's like, uh, is like the boring plumbing of like what, how the machine works and like there's all these, like there's the, the secrets that you are uncovering in the data and presenting to schools and helping them understand it. It's just like such a huge value add so that teachers can continue doing and administrators can continue doing the work that they were meant to do. And then they have you as this sort of like consultant who can help them understand the patterns that are difficult to see for them, right? If they, if they don't have a data, like data background. So I, I'm just like grateful that you exist <laughs> and that you're helping because um, I think some of those patterns are in there and it's just a matter of like, can people see it and do they know what, what outcomes, you know, might be if they don't fix it? I really appreciate that. Um, I, I would say one of the things that I've really learned about the work that we do though is that, um, you know, we, <laughs> make no mistake, we, we are a data company, but we do not have a data background, nor do we find that to be the most useful skill set mm. day to day. Yes, you do need a basic, um, yeah. you know, data management technical skill set. Um, but what's fascinating about data is that it's less about the technical skills and more about, I would say, your understanding of a very people-driven problem. Mm. You are never going to solve how a kid learns by throwing data at it, right? right. You're never going to help a school operate more effectively just because you have like a, you know, a huge database that... Mm -hmm is going that you can query with data like those right. those are not going to solve the problem <laughs> mm. what's going to solve the problem is that you know that those tools exist but you know how to translate that into real world problem solving right so you you can be data driven but data always takes a second seat to what the actual problem is and who's actually solving it right and sort of like what context they're in right because if you're a teacher 
you might be trying to do it a certain way, but you know, your administration might not have your back or funding might not be there, or there, you know, there might be circumstances that make your approach change. Absolutely. So I, I actually screen every single resume that, that comes into our company and a surefire way for me to automatically put a resume into the, I don't think so pile. Um, yeah is when they throw at me all of their technical certifications and wow. technical experience, um, which you know a lot of people might think that if you're applying to a data company that those you know that data fluency and uh, competency and capability and in, in a lot of these different technical spaces is what's what you want to right. highlight, but to right. me that it, it it really it doesn't hold much value to me wow. what it holds value to me is that you understand the school like the school's environment right that you right. understand the problem and then you're motivated to solve those problems and you can be resourceful that you can think right. independently you can be critical right like those are the things yeah. that I, i'm looking for not the technical skills so like that's a pretty radical um approach and i think probably most people would hear that and be like wow that's that's kind of profound i'm wondering like what in your situation in your company what are some challenges or um roadblocks that you guys have faced that you've sort of had to stare down or um, take sort of like a an uncommon approach um but like that you feel like you had to get through in order to get to where you are <laughs> okay i uh i really like this question um, because I've actually been in thinking a lot lately about, or I've always been thinking about what it means for a company like ours to be sustainable. Um, as I think a lot of companies are thinking right now as they go through yeah. these moments of crisis, you know, right. not just are we sustainable right now in this crisis, but are we really prepped to, to be able to manage future crises? Right. Um, and I would say one of the unconventional ideas that that really resonates with the way that um, our team works is that if if we do our job well, we will run ourselves out of business, and that's a good thing. Hmm. What does that because, mean? <laughs> we're trying to solve a problem in education, right? Uh, a problem in education that exists because there is a need for people to use data in a way that improves student outcomes. And if every school had that skill within their team, they would not need us. Right. And so when we arrive at if we if we're working with a new school that values the skill set that we're able to provide right. we start from a place of saying where do you want to be because if we can train you to have right. this skill we will do it right whereas i've met many people who are uh confused by this because they're like yeah. well but curtis if you if you teach everybody how to do your job ultimately you won't have a job anymore and right. that's not very sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. <laughs> and, and this is, 
and this is where I, I feel like it, it, this is a big reason why I love education. Mm-hmm. Um, because the needs are constantly changing. Yeah. The amount of resources that are in the education space are so few mm. that there is always going to be more to do. And I think that if we take that approach to many things in life, I think we'd all, we'd all be better off. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, right. And, and I'm just applying it to education. So, you know, if I can say, you know, this school does not need us anymore, that is a victory. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and we can then take our resources and, you know, if, 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 I, if this is really going to work out in a sustainable way, there will be other schools that will need this right. until this problem is gone. And I, right. I, you know, we're so far behind in fixing this problem in the education space that, you know, right. I welcome as many people to come join that journey as possible right. because I, I don't see it ending in my lifetime. And I wish I could. Yeah. I really wish I could. You know, what you're saying is that like, we would like to solve the problem. <laughs> and by solving the problem, then like we will have to go find another problem to solve, which I think is, is pretty cool, right? Because, you know, I think there's um, plenty of businesses that don't have that approach. They're just sort of like, cool, we're going to sell you the next iPhone with the slightly marginally better camera and like all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I just like appreciate your sort of like social impact focus. I, I'm thinking also about people who want to take a similar path and they're like, cool, I want to make something big. I want to do something important um, like Curtis is doing. Where do you feel like people will fail when pursuing a path like yours, right? It's sort of unconventional. Um, but maybe there's no rules. Maybe you have to start something. Like, where do you feel like are some places where people might fail? I love this question because I feel like I can very easily tie this back to where we started this conversation. Mm. Um, and that is that I think that when starting out in this space, it's very easy to undervalue oneself. Mm. And I think this is where, you know, we go back to this idea of, of the, the, the pyramid and hierarchy of right. needs, right? If I right. undervalue myself um, in, you know, to, to, in the short term, like I'm never going to get to that long term. I'm never going right. to get to that sustainable space. We have a saying in our team, and that is that, you know, we're not, we are not martyrs. Right. Um, there are potentially the clients that will come by and they will just want to work you to the bone yeah, and pay you nothing right? and expect that they are getting a good deal. So therefore they're better off. And that's a game that we try not to play yeah. because that's, you know, it's a race to the bottom. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, this is where I think a lot of people might fail in not understanding what their what their worth is, right. um, and and almost assuming that if you work in a certain space, you have to be a martyr. I think that right. like that came across really strongly when I was a teacher, 
because we all know that teachers work so hard and i think right. it's it's almost a universal truth and understanding that people believe that teachers are undervalued and underpaid right um and that's just not that's just not right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and if if we all go into it accepting that we will, will be undervalued and underpaid right nobody is going to win um, yeah it's certainly not students um the 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 very real issue of teacher churn um especially in lower er income neighborhoods where teachers just come in and out and in and out because you know they just right. come in they burn out and then they right. leave um it causes it, it makes a lot of these problems more systemic and, right. and perpetuates a lot of issues so you know i think just because you want to work within a space that you would consider quote unquote uh, more focused on social impact um, it doesn't mean that you have to give up your basic needs in order to achieve right. that um, we have to find ways to support people in those spaces without asking them to give so much that's so big dude and it's like so relevant to me right now <laughs> like um, for some reason I have failed to learn that lesson so many times even though like my mom used to say this thing you know, Chris, you need to make sure that you're putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before you help the next passenger in the plane. You know what I mean? Like that, like yeah. old, like if you've ever flown on an airplane, you know that rule. And it's sort of like super relevant here. Like it, it just makes perfect sense. Like you need to have that, your brain functioning in order to help other people. And so like that sort of balance of like, well, I'm going to make sure that my bases are covered so that I can be effective. Like that was just, it took forever because for some stupid reason and i still don't know why that belief that you have to be like totally sacrificial in order to make it worth it or to like make an impact it's just such a lie um i don't know if it's a lie but it's well, just I don't, not yeah. true right it, like i would just, say it's not it's not absolute i wouldn't say it's not true it's not that you know we all get to a place where we want to go without sacrificing right um it's just that i think you know, if we think about this as a, as a spectrum and not just as black and white, I think that people tend to sacrifice more and longer than they probably should for themselves. Yeah. Um, where if they were able to step back and say, look, like, this is not going to be sustainable. I should actually stop this now. And not realizing that a lot of what you invested in already is a sunk cost and you need to like, yeah. pivot or change. Um, mm. and it's a hard thing to do. Um, but... I think a lot of people might be better off if they if they wanted if they did make that realization sooner than later. Um, but that's not to say that the system is not without constraints. It's not like it's not like every teacher could make you know five hundred million thousand dollars a year like they should. Um, like the system just can't support it. So there are re very right, real right. realities <laughs> right, right. that exist and constraints. But I think as, as one approaches your own career. Um, knowing what those dynamics are, knowing yourself and what you need, and understanding whether or not what your needs are within that, within those dynamics, right. within those economics, it whether it's a fit or not, is going to go a long way. Um, yeah. So here's some things that like you're saying that are resonating with me that I I would just like to highlight. Like so, some things that you've said so far, 
you know, in relate in relation to like your journey and the impact that you're making are like focusing on some of these base level needs and making sure that your sort of footing is is sure footing. Another thing is managing your energy and paying attention to some of the things that you know fire you up or give you more energy and attention, uh, more focus, um, and then sort of like integrating those into your work or um, making sure that you're paying attention to that energy level so that when it's low, you can go back and do more things like that. It was just like another um, little blip that I just wanted to call out that I, I just feel like deserves a little bit more attention in our in our like recap here. Um, I, the next sort of like thought that I had is uh, a little different. Like, what do you feel like is something young people are doing right now better than past generations? If I could focus on one word, I would, I would say that that word is creativity. Hmm. Um, I think that, and, and maybe, you know, I think it's not like creativity was just born yesterday. Right, right. Uh, part of this latest generation. I think we've always had it. But what's, what's really fascinating to me is just how much you see it now. And I think social media has a lot, uh, has a very large part to play in that. Um, I mean, I right. turn, on, you turn on TikTok, you turn on SoundCloud, you turn on uh, YouTube, right? Like right. Twitch. Like there's just so much really amazing content out there that yeah. is so interesting and different in a totally different medium. Um, but one that's so personal that I think is, and genuine that comes from a much younger generation than myself. I mean, I, I feel like I'm an old man now. I'm 39. I hope that <laughs> your listeners don't think that that's like super old, but you know, I, I, I'm technically on the end of the millennial uh, age group, um, but I don't consider myself part of that group. Like I I look at what what younger people are doing today and I'm just like, I'm really inspired um, by what especially the internet has done to just totally transform how um, we communicate each other and display um, our creative selves. I think that's that's like the first word that comes to my mind when when I think of yeah. that question. So with all of this, you know, kind of creativity and this new env- this new technological environment, and maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not. But like, what do you think? What do you feel like young people have to watch out for? Maybe more than past generations. Huh. I I, I don't know if it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I, I thought it, I wasn't sure if I should share it, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, yeah, let's go for it. Skeptical old people. <laughs> skeptical I, old people, did I say? Uh, yes, I said skeptical yeah. old old people. Um, <laughs> there's so much millennial bashing um, and young yeah. people bashing, I would say in general. I think a lot of people don't give, um, they're, they're, a lot of older it's not just older people. I would almost say like older institutions um, are not necessarily built for younger generations. And I feel like this is a, Mm. this is probably an ongoing theme throughout time that I'm just not aware of because I'm only a player in this particular generation. Right. Um, 
but this is where I think what's very exciting is to think about this is a recurring theme uh, over a long period of time beyond my lifespan where the younger generation is going to come in and shake things up and they're going to change yeah. things. Um, I think that there's a lot of hope in, in what you even see today. Um, you know, not to get into politics, but, you know, looking at how it feels like there, and it's probably been going on for a while where there's a disconnect between younger generations and the political systems that they are growing up in. Right. Um, watching how a lot of them are changing um, to, to accommodate either, mm -hmm. Um, willingly or forcefully. Right. Um, and I find that incredibly interesting. I have some other thoughts here. I would like to um, change up our pace a little bit. So like we've taken a little time to dive into some of what you do and a little bit of the, you know, a little bit about the challenges of how you've gotten there. I would love to run through a speed round of questions with you that are just like rapid fire off the cuff kind of things and then we can make some more space to talk about whatever you want sound good sure cool all right let's do it speed round um is there are there sound effects can you uh, insert sound effects afterwards there's no reason i cannot insert sound effects I do like a, a <laughs> ring like a ding ding bell or like a no, mike tyson no, mike tyson's voice in there he's talking about getting in the ring something like that i don't know we could do it well to your listeners, if you're listening to this afterwards and you hear a sound effect, it was all done afterwards. <laughs> and it was all Curtis's fault. Yes. All right, cool. Speed round. What like, skill would you just matrix download instantly? So you get plugged into the matrix, somebody plugs a cable into the back of your head. What is the, what is the first thing that you would download to your brain? See, now that you've planted that seed in my head, the only thing I could think of is I know Kung Fu. And the, <laughs> the benefits of instantly knowing Kung Fu, I bet, are much wider than people probably think. Right. I agree with you. It's, all, it's actually on my list, too. I don't know where I, it would I'm be. I'm just going to go with that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything like super deep here. I, I, I just I want to know Kung Fu. Sometimes you want to know Kung Fu, and it's, it's okay. It's totally good. All right. Um, if you were abducted by aliens, and you were taken away to another galaxy, and they asked you to tell them about the human race, but you can only say it in, like, one sentence, what would you tell them? Be gentle on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just hope that they're like benevolent, benevolent aliens <laughs> because, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, what's the best, worst, or funniest job you've ever had? Neighborhood pool snack bar operator. <laughs> I would be in such big trouble if I was in charge of the snack bar because all of a sudden there would be no <laughs> snacks left. Forget it. Like the Oreos would be completely gone. So they're, they're, that's out me uh what is a unique or weird quirk that you have i'm really bad at having conversations because i pause very awkwardly when i talk um so if it sounds like i am um 
really well put together for this podcast is probably because you've done a good job, Chris, of editing out all the awkward pauses that I, uh, that I normally have. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that's probably the, the ongoing quirk that I'm, that I'm very aware of that, uh, that plays out in my everyday speech and in conversations with others. Well, maybe I won't edit anything out. I don't know. I have to go back and listen to see if there's any awkward pauses. I don't fly under my <laughs> Sleep radar. them days. in there. Yeah, why not? Okay. 90 days from now, scientists discover the cure for aging. It turns out to be a simple solution that anybody can make at home with what they have at home in 24 hours. What do you do? Clarifying question. You say the cure for aging, does that mean I am stopped in time or do I reverse time like Benjamin Button style? No, you just stop in time. Oh. Yeah, you just freeze. And you'd never get older than how old you are right now. No, forget it. I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it? Oh, my God. Uh, I am so excited about being old. You don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) This, so excited. I need to pull this out of the speed round because I really want to know why you would choose that. It's a discussion for another day, Chris. Oh, Episode man. Two. Okay, I screwed myself. All right. <laughs> if, you, if you could send a push notification, like on everyone's smartphone, to the whole world, what would it say? I feel like in these times, I would want to say suspend judgment. Hmm. Yeah, we could probably all use that reminder, I think. That would be nice. Um, okay, that's my speed round, dude. Thank you for running through that little gauntlet with me. Um, I sure. maybe have to adjust this because I need less interesting questions that make me want to ask you things. So maybe I need to, like, <laughs> modify that for future podcasts. But, hey, this is, uh, you know, pilot. Vanilla ice cream, Chris. One. I'm a vanilla guy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so the only other kind of thoughts or questions that I have for you are – was there something that you wished I'd asked you that you wanted to share? Is there something else that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to talk about um, before we walk out here? I think that that one thing that you've brought up with me in the past is that um, I guess you've thought a lot about managing energy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, that I find to be incredibly useful in my day to day these days. Yeah. Um, I think it was very easy for a long time for me to just think about time as the mm-hmm. the resource that I'm constantly optimizing for. Um, yeah. But especially with a kid now, I'm like, wow, like I, I just need to, I need to be checking myself for, for where my energy is like throughout the day yeah. and, and for all the things that I want to achieve. Um, right. Because if I get to a point where <laughs> I don't have any energy, like I'm, I'm just not going to do a good job. Um, yeah. And I think that was, yeah, that's something that in episode two, I would love to talk to you more about. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Well, I would love to have you on another session because there's still more stuff that we want to, I want to unpack. Um, so the only other question that I have for you is how do people find you and what you're up to? Like, where do people go to learn about you or to figure out what you're working on and how to get involved or whatever? Sure. Um, so I would say that my um, my main passion project of the moment, other than being a dad, 
is uh, the work that I'm doing at, at Measure Education. So you can find our team and, and some of the things that we do at, at measureed.com. Um, that'd be a good place to just see how it is that we are trying to partner with schools to, to make them better and to make, um, to improve student outcomes. Dude, awesome. Um, I love your work. I love the way you run your company. I love the um, kind of mindset that you have and jamming on stuff like this with you because I always learn stuff. Um, so thanks for, for doing this important work. Thanks for being you and like just keeping on and taking chances and, and making things happen. I'm just, I'm super glad that um, our, our universes are like, we're in the same orbit and, uh, and to see what you do next, dude. I could say a lot of the same things about you, Chris, and I'm excited yeah. to be part of this uh, inaugural season of your podcast. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm super glad to have you. And uh, I can't wait to do to dive deep on some new stuff with you. I'm looking forward to it. That's it. Thanks for listening, people. If you know somebody else in your life who needs to hear this, please share this episode with them. If you want more content like this, just head over to chrisdanilo.com and you'll know what to do. See you next time.